This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So welcome to the Besotted Podcast. This is the Reading Podcast. And it's the first time we've gone live with all sorts of Reading fans from all over the country, Bees fans from all over the country, just hanging out here and going to talk about the game on Saturday, the game last Saturday, the game on Tuesday, talking about, well, anything we want to. You know, we've got the boys from the Tylerst End. You know, um, introduce yourself. We've got Daniel. Evening. How's it going? Yeah, we've got Dan. We've got John. Hi. Um, yeah, we've got the Dan, the Lester B. And just talk about... Well, the game that's coming up on Saturday. Uh, before we talk about that, boys, uh, you had a game last night, didn't you? Yeah, away at Leeds. And how'd you get on? Fairly drab nil-nil. Um, the, once you looked at the highlights, there was one shot from long range and one um, close header, and that was it for the, all of the highlights, so not a classic. Plenty of penalty appeals as well, don't uh, The club's propaganda machines have been in full effect this afternoon. <laughs> I mean, Leeds, we played Leeds on Saturday, and uh, I mean, they were, they were sort of a, slightly a club in turmoil, and then obviously they got this new manager who came in who no, no one's got any idea about him at all, do they? No, isn't the quote from Chilino, um, I don't know much about him, but he's a handsome chap. I don't know why I appointed him, something along those lines. So uh, that says all you need to know, really. <laughs> he's such a character, but, you know, I mean, the Leeds... They, they, I mean, they came down to Griffin Park on Saturday, and uh, they, they didn't perform that well. We actually, we, we had a, we had a fantastic game on Saturday. We outplayed them. I mean, I know the manager only had about two or three training sessions with them. He said, and he was going sort to of change a few things up. But um, you know, your your game yesterday. I mean, obviously, you've had a bit of a sort of kind of the start to your season was a little bit ropey, wasn't it? But, you, you know, you had a sort of transfer embargo and all that, didn't you? I mean, not so much a transfer embargo, just no owner, no money, nobody to sign any checks and masses of uncertainty. So so it wasn't anything forced on us, but we just were, were within about 24 hours of going bust at one stage, which is when we, we offloaded Lafondra to Cardiff for, for ready cash. Um, things have settled down since then and the ownership, well, it's not necessarily sorted out, but at least now we've got an owner. So um, it's onwards and upwards from here, but there was so much uncertainty all over summer. We were so close to the wall because Zingarevich, the Russian owner, came along, made lots of high-profile deals, for instance, Pogrebniak and Royston Drenta, um, on massive Premier League wages, um, then vanished and stopped signing any checks, so we were in such a limbo for such a while. Oh, Jesus. Well, sorry to hear that, but I mean, I'm looking at your squad and uh, personally thinking, I think you've got a pretty good squad. I mean, Simon Cox, um, Brentford fans will remember him. We'd have, uh, we'd have a much better squad if half of them weren't on the treatment table. I think we've made uh, an episode of Holby City look tame <laughs> this season. I think going up to Middlesbrough, I think Nigel Atkins was saying he's got 14 players unavailable. So uh, our squad numbers have been up in the 30s and 40s rather than the uh, usual 1 to 11 this season. But they've, they've done admirably in the circumstances anyway. Yeah, because I think it was at Reading as a club. I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously, I remember the uh, uh, that game uh, when uh, Mr. Curiton uh, decided to. Uh, 
uh, scupper our chances of uh, getting promoted. Um, and uh, you know, Reading's come a long way since then. Um, we all know what happened, what's happened to Reading. I mean, flirting with the Premiership and so on, so on, so on, so on. Um, but uh, you know, what, what, what where's it gone wrong from my point of view? I think they've bottomed out a bit now as a club. I think they've reached um, a level where the crowds are bottoming out to about 16,000, which is quite respectable for a town of our size. And as as John said, there's no uh, there's no immediate kind of they've got these new owners in, but we don't know much about them. And you know whether they're going to be an improvement on what we've had before. Okay, uh, so you which, think what? So well, in- probably, which won't be difficult because, uh, as, as uh, John alludes to, the, the previous regime uh, was built on promises and uh, not a lot else. Unfortunately, supports are quite gullible, what I mean, and they, uh, they lapped up those promises. Um, I don't think we've even had as much as, as even promises from the, from the new people, the Thai people. Um, wow. I mean, I'm, I'm quite interested because, I mean, going back to, you're talking about sort of, kind of history, when you're going back to Elm Park and everything like that. And I mean, Reading and Brentford played each other a lot over the years. And yeah. again, I'm not trying to put it down, but we didn't say ourselves we see ourselves as a bigger team. But there was times when Reading were getting yeah. sort of one and a half, two thousand fans and stuff like that, wasn't it? And uh, you know, we'd come down there and you know we'd bring a few fans, we'd have a bit of a laugh. But then all of a sudden, it just went right for you. Majeski came in, things just happened, and then you just kind of just went on this trajectory. I think they've tapped into, you know, it's the new stadium effect, and you've got that to, to come yourselves, haven't you, with the, with the new ground. That um, just seems to just just push the club onto a new level. Um, you, you ask um, most Reading fans of a, of a certain age where they'd rather watch their football, they'd also Elm Park. But the, 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 new, the new ground or the newer ground has, has just pushed them onto a level where they can, they can compete a bit more, be a bit more attractive as a club. And... Um, you know, you can look back on the old days with, with fondness, but they're uh, they've, they've kicked on now. We should be uh, you know, we should be you know medium kind of championship size club after years of third and fourth division football when they were to be fair underachieving. It's a big town, you know. It's um, it, but as you said as well, you know Brentford and Reading are probably similar sized clubs. I can remember when I first started getting into football, um, Brentford were getting if anything a couple of thousand more, and you're always a kind of talking early 90s now. I think you went up early 90s for one season. Um, one or two seasons, and, and you know, you you're always a team in the top sort of seven or eight, and we were a mid-table side, and you know, we always had kind of close games against yourself. Normally, kind of quite low-scoring games from memory. So, what's what, what's what, uh, uh, what in terms of expectation now? I mean, as a Brentford fan, I'm quite interested because um, I think as Brentford fans, we're quite realistic. I mean, we are a small club. Let's be honest. Um, uh, uh, in the playing in the championship, this is our second season in the last 25 years um, in the championship. Um, and our expectations, I'd say most fans would be really happy to escape relegation. I think we've seen uh, the way our team's played, um, and I think that mid-table would be really nice. But, you know, I think that in terms of our resources, even though we've got a really good owner, um, really good management off the field as well, I think most Brent fans will still say, you know, mid-table will be amazing. But as a club of Reading, I mean, considering your recent history and considering your new ground, size of uh, town, etc., what what are your sort of expectations this season then? I mean, I'm um, oh, sorry, go ahead, John. I was going to say, amongst many fans, I mean, we we've got the kids who who demand success, and and that's one of the problems of a, a new stadium. You and being in the Premier League, you've got a new generation, the what what I term the soccer AM generation, who who want. To, um, style and they want to win everything and and it's boo if that's not happening but I think more realistic people after the summer we'd had were talking about you know just survival um, both of the club and survival in this league um, but I think things changed in August because two two new signings Glenn Murray and Oliver Norwood um, they came in right at the end of August, and they are really good. They they've changed the style and given us a bit of hope. But what is your current impression then? What what I mean? What, how do you perceive Brentford Football Club at the moment? Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to understand. You know, if if somebody says Brentford to you, do you just piss yourself laughing, um, or you know, what is your current perception of Brentford Football Club these days? That's a club on the up, isn't it? I mean, you look at a lot of the clubs that have sort of made waves in the championship and bounced up and down team league one you look at teams like Doncaster seemingly well-run teams that go up and certainly have a good go at it it's it's questionable whether you've got that Premier League vibe about you at the moment whether you're a club that you can see like the say the Norwich and Southamptons that have got up and down the divisions and then made 
Waves or, or even Swansea is probably a better example. I don't quite see you in that sort of tier yet. But I said you've got a, a very loyal, passionate fan base, new stadium on the horizon, you know, good good area of town, attractive proposition. And there's no reason why, after a couple of years of stability, you can't move forward. I understand you had, you know, problems with fan ownership for a while, but, you know, that experiment didn't quite work out. But now you seem to have got an owner who's certainly pushing you forward in the right direction. And, you know, just like Reading, you know, we were talking Reading 15, 20 years ago. don't think many would have seen us as a team that would spend three years out of, what, seven or eight in the Premier League. No reason to say Brentford can't do the same in five, ten years' time. Yeah, honest, honest answer, is it? <laughs> well, the, the, the thing with Brentford, you, you've, you've got a lot of competitors there, and you kind of that that West London area. You've got QPR, um, Fulham come back down, possibly not really competing with them. The supporters quite so much. Chelsea as well. But Reading's similar in itself. It's um, competition with the, with the big London clubs. I think again, it's the ground thing, isn't it? You know, when you when you move to the new ground, I don't know how many does it hold. Twenty thousand, is it the, the new stadium? Yeah, new ground, roughly, yeah. That that will kick on. It, it depends what league you're in at the time. When Reading went down, um, when Reading left Elm Park, rather, um, they'd just been relegated. Great timing as usual from what is now the Championship down to League One. New ground actually saw a rise in crowds. You know, they, they for a bit there's a novelty value. If Brentford can time their run, as it were, and um, and, um, and and be in a strong position for the, for the new stadium, hang on for a couple of seasons, like so-called perceived smaller clubs have done in the championship in the past, then they can kick on. Possibly a championship-level club struggling to do a bit better than that. I don't know. Maybe I'm being... A bit like Reading then, I suppose. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but, but very much anticipated this game. The, the demand for tickets has been quite substantial. Yes. I mean, this is good. I mean, I mean, this is one thing that we noticed. We've stepped up into the, uh, the championship... And uh, it's been a lot of fun. For a start, every single um, away support, you know, all the away supporters have sold out their allocation for every single game so far. So what oh, you've got is you've got a lot of excited people. I mean, they've obviously got a vibe. There's a pub, you know, there's a pub on each four corners, oh, so they're yeah. all down there for that. Um, you know, it's terraces as well, which is a massive selling point for Brentford, and it is really good fun because you actually can whip up a really good atmosphere there. And, uh, and it's... <laughs> I mean, I dare say it is an old-school stadium. I mean, you know, some people say it's falling apart at the seams, but, you know, it's still held itself together over 100-odd years, um, and it does the business. And uh, and I'll be honest with you, and I know you say as you step up from um, going to Elm Park to Majeski and you've got more fans, but the ironic thing about Brentford is that if you get 8,000 people on it, it's actually rocking, which is quite good. So uh, with Saturday, well, there will probably be about sort of over 10,000 fans in, in the ground again, fingers crossed. It's actually going to be a really, really good vibe. So, uh, so we're, you know, we're looking forward to that, and it's it's been it's been good being in the championship. It's been a little bit of an eye opener for us um, playing these games against teams like you know we haven't played you yourself, but even playing teams like Leeds, like Watford on on Tuesday night, playing um, teams like Middlesbrough, where you know we're not able to get away with the things that we were able to get away with in in Division One. We realised that we were kind of bossing things and we were just getting away with a lot. You know, we go out there and pick up the ball and do a few little skills and if it didn't work and we lost the ball, it didn't really matter. But now, boy, Norwich, we battered them for 65... We absolutely mullered them for 65 minutes and we couldn't... Ruddy was like a man possessed. He was like saving the ball left, right and centre. We couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. 65 minutes, they changed things up and went boom, boom, boom. Three goals. Killed us. Absolutely. And we're not used to that kind of stuff. So that's a big learning game. That's a big learning game for us. It really is. And, um, you know, it's, it's been good, like I said to you. You know, there's plus sides and there's negative sides. You know, we're used to sort of being, hey, we're Brentford. Hi, let's pop into, you know, the next town. And everyone's like, no, you can't drink anywhere you want to. You can't no, go there. Not drink yeah. we're, not, we're not used to that. Have you been disappointed with the standard there, the championship? Has it been as difficult as you thought it might be? It's, you know, you, I, I think our perception of the league, it's there's a lot of mediocrity there, really. That we, what we've seen who's, who's top at the moment. Norwich are top. We haven't seen them. I went to Forest and they did us four 0 but it was mainly awful Reading defending uh, with a young side with loads of injuries at the start of the season. They deserved to win. Forest, they were impressive. I don't know if you've played them yet. What do you think of the standard so far? I'll be honest with you, the standard for me probably isn't as high as I thought it would be. Yeah. However, what it, what there is, there's a certain level of consist consistency. Um, everyone's kind of fitter, 
right? Everyone seems to be a lot fitter, and also you've got some strikers that can score goals. So yeah. lots of teams have got people that can score goals, whereas beforehand there was the old barn door with a banjo type <laughs> thing going on in Holly. But you know, um, I mean, Watford literally—they, they—I mean, we had them on the racks to a certain extent for a bit. Then this geezer just came out and bang. Where did that come from? And I watched it on the replay again, and I just had to say that was a good goal. And that's that has been the difference, I think, where you've got people that can make little moves, score goals. But saying that, we've scored some fantastic goals. Hotta scored a fantastic goal the other day against Leeds, I think it was. Absolutely brilliant goal. So people look at us and saying that we've stepped up as well. Mm. But um, it, it's it's difficult in the fact that you have to keep up. A, you you got you can't sleep. You've got to keep on it the whole time. I think. Um, and I have to admit that I mean, people probably laugh at me because I don't think they've won a game yet. Or maybe they've won one. But Blackpool, we went up to Blackpool and we played them. And I thought they were going to be awful because when you've got a team who is at the bottom of the league, you think, you're terrible, you are. But I didn't think they were awful. I thought they were all right. I mean, you could see they were in turmoil. But, you know, they were, they were quite bullyish. They were strong. You know, they had players that were right, but they were just a bit rubbish up front. But they weren't terrible for a team that's at the bottom of the league, what I expected them to be. Yeah. I yeah. agree that um, most teams have got two or three players who can hurt you. Even the sides, I think Huddersfield uh, beat us at home, and you know they've struggled this season. They won three-one um, last night or the night before. And I think all the teams in that division, there's some mediocrity there, but all the sides have two or three you think can hurt you. I'd agree with that. Yeah, and momentum in a good team can take you a long way. It took Reading back to the Premier League a couple of years ago. I mean, we didn't have a lot of standout stars, but they had a good team, good ethic. They had a little bit of star quality, I suppose, in someone like a Jason Roberts, but I mean, that's not exactly superstar level. And, and a lot of teams do just take that. They get on a roll, you know, look at look, teams like Burnley. Everyone was tipping Burnley to go down last year. Suddenly, Danny Ings stays fit for a season. Yeah. Sam Folks has a, a wonder turnaround. And, you know, they're propelled into the Premier League. So it can happen to any team. It's interesting because you talk about, you know, you talk about the Premier League and you've gone up. But it's being a sort of... Because this whole thing about the Premier League, and especially with so much more money being thrown into it, and everyone to be quite honest with you, or not everyone, but then people up there interested in your Man United's and your Liverpool's and you know all that kind of stuff. So what's it like being an unglamorous side going into a division like that? I mean, do, do people not take you seriously as fans? <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's horrible. Um, off quickly. Uh, yeah, if, 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 from a supporter's point of view, it's horrible. When, when we beat Liverpool, it was nothing to do with Reading. It was how badly Liverpool played. Yeah. So you never achieve anything. The big clubs screw it up. Um, matches are changed all the time. You can't get tickets. The, the policing and stewarding is, is horrible. There's so many things that make it horrible for a Manchester going supporter. The only good thing is the vine at West Bromwich Albion. But oh. apart from that, I'd, sure. I'd, I'd leave it out completely. So what you're telling us is that we, we should just stay where we are then? Yeah, you've, you've, you've gone too far. Sorry. You're fine. You to be perfectly honest with you. It really, really will. Um, it, it, the, the costs, obviously, you, know, you get so much more money. But at the same time... Um, Costs increase exponentially, and all you tend to find is that the 20 Premier League clubs, of which you would be one if you got promoted, um, they all just try and cream as much money as they possibly can through merchandise, through general um, match day sales. Um, ticket costs, obviously, you know, you, 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 we're paying, I think it's what, 25, 26 quid, isn't it, for, for Saturday. Um, you can expect that to go up to 35, 40 quid. Um, if not more in some cases, you know. Do, do you think, though, do you think, though, lads, we're a little bit, I don't want to say bitter, but we've been ruined by the last two seasons of the Premier League, especially being god awful. That's getting spanked everywhere. If we were a Swansea fan, they'd seen their team settle well in the Premier League, get to a League Cup final, get into Europe, or maybe Hull, we might feel a little bit different. I take what you mean about tickets and stuff like that, but for me, I could sort of put that to a side if Reading were doing okay, but the fact we were just getting smashed every week was was the worst thing about it more than anything else and if we'd been doing it right like we were in the first season when we went up and came eighth you know i'd have a lot less to complain about i mean maybe but there, there's something about not winning anything where in a league where it's a good season if you manage to stay in it um, and you're never going to compete with the big clubs it's a bit disheartening i mean i think i i, mean, I get that it is a bit it is a bit ridiculous you sort of kind of you wonder what the objective is at the end of the day when you start going into those leagues. It's almost like, you know, maybe they should sort of create sort of three divisions within the top division, you know, one for the top six, 
one for the middle <laughs> battlers and one for the relegation battlers, like, you know. I'm not saying they should do that, but it's, it's almost kind of getting to that stage, you know, where it should be like that. I, I agree. I think my um, my success at the bookies would state otherwise, but the Premier League results uh, are, are too easy to call, aren't they? You know, you've got, um, if you've got uh, Manchester United at home to QPR, who didn't see a 4-0 win come in there? The Championship last night, as I said, we, we saw Wolves 1, Huddersfield 3, coupon buster. So, you know, I moaned about the mediocrity of the league. I've been spoiled by um, 12 years or so in the top two divisions. But it's competitive. Um, everyone can beat each other. The worst cliche going, but it's true. Um, give me that in many ways over the Premier League. I'll just sit and watch that bit on telly when I can. But OK, I'm going to, I mean, this is going into sort of kind of general sort of policy. Yep. Anyway that it could be changed because I mean I, I, I found it only recently by going through chatting to people and meetings like that 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 the whole scenario is flawed because obviously when they set up that league and they the FA said you guys can break away and you can form this league there was no kind of stipulation set they just kind of basically let them go and do what they want so now you've got kind of this monster created now it, it's great for TV and all this kind of stuff but it's not particularly brilliant for football some people say it is, but it's not, especially for the average football fan. Is there any way that this can change, do you think? I mean, you've been up there, and you're sort of, you know, you're almost sort of saying, it's kind of not much point being up there, because you can't really do anything except for survive and get more money and then get charged more money. I mean, what do you think? Well, you can, you can change it. Teams, as, as I just said, teams do go up and can make a good fist of it. You know, Hull gets an FA Cup final, decent league finish. Swansea win a league cup. Even teams like Birmingham, I know they ended up coming down, but they still won something. A lot of teams have done well for a long period of time, but it just gets harder. Your margin for error is is minute. Like Reading, they go from eighth one season to relegated on the last day of the following season. You've got it only takes one or two bad signings to send it all pear shaped, and when it does go pear shaped, it, it goes horribly wrong, and you're left with fat bloated contracts. Footballers, you don't want to see it at your football club, and, and it all just goes pear shaped. So you can do it. You just got to be really careful. I don't know what you could do to change it. I know there's financial fair play rules but and that's a whole different debate we can get into that but that's just going to keep the rich teams rich to be honest um, uh, is there a way to fix it if I knew I think I'd have a seat on the FA board um, I'll probably not actually in the Premier League's case but, um, but no I don't know I, the only thing I can say is you go up you enjoy it and just hope you've got a good management team good board that can buy sensibly and, and you have a bit of luck along the way because otherwise you're fighting against the odds and, and also, you don't try and stay up at all costs because when you fail, you fail big time. So you need to be prepared to be relegated and not have it cost too much. So you don't go overboard on contracts and expensive players. You you have the flexibility. Are you talking QPR then? Um, you know, West Brom were going, I've been yo-yoing for years and never spending too much when they're up there. So when they come down, it doesn't hurt them too much. And, and they're gradually getting to be an established team. Whereas Hull City, the name were name dropped a little bit earlier, and they did it all completely wrong, and they've ended up with the uh, the chairman. They've got it now on the back of it. Um, FA Cup final, though, Dave. FA Cup final, survival. Portsmouth had an FA Cup final. Okay, fair point. Touche. <laughs> right, let's, let's let's bring it back to a little yeah. history. Bring it back to this game. We'll talk about the game and everything like that in a little bit, but let's talk about previous. Let's bring it back to 2002 because I need to get this out of my system, right? You know, <laughs> you know. You mentioned that game to any Brentford fan, and they'll put their hands over their heads, their eyes. They'll start crying. And this, how long ago was it? It was like 12, 13, 14 yeah. years ago. But it still hurts any time you mention the name Jamie Curiton to any Brentford fan. He even scored against us against Dagenham this year, and everyone went absolutely. <laughs> And that it, got a smile. Uh, yeah, that was, that it was, was actually quite bad, actually, because he um he scored, I think he came on as a sub. I'm not, not sure exactly. Or he may may not. Have. It was that mad six-all game against Dagenham in the cup. He came on. He scored. He ran to the Brentford fans. He started gesticulating and just going absolutely mental, yeah. you know, which wasn't very clever. Of course, everyone started shouting and chanting at him. But at the end of the match, he uh, they had the warm down, and basically the team and him had to warm down in the middle of the centre circle because he couldn't come to the tunnel because the tunnel was at the Brentford end. And uh, you do know we signed him on loan, don't you? He's by yeah. himself. <laughs> no, yeah, actually, you probably just a, just a one match loan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I'm sure he scored against us um, against Exeter when he played for Exeter as well, didn't he? In the was that in the cup? 
Yes, I think so. Yeah, that's really frustrating because every single time I see that fat git, uh, he seems to score against us, <laughs> no matter which team he plays for. Um, and yeah, you're right. That Reading game uh, was um, yeah painful to say the least. I mean, but, you, but, talk us it through it from your end because I mean, you you were dancing and singing and all sorts, weren't you? <laughs> well, from I mean, memory, wasn't he a substitute that day? Yes, he was. Indeed, yes, yeah. he came on for Martin Butler. I that's right, Martin Butler, who we should have found. But anyway, we won't go into that. So, But anyway, the day you came down in your hordes, and uh, I mean, talk us through that day, that marvellous day for you. Go on, just, just put us through it one more time. I, I, I'll give you some context, because you might remember it and, and put your, hand, your head in your hands. For us, it's avoiding a playoff round, and every playoff we've been to results in us putting our head in our hands. So, so we look on it as a great achievement because it avoided the playoffs, which are our worst nightmare. It was also uh, Reading on the way down as well, because we'd led the league for most of the season and then had gone some ridiculous string of draws. Yeah. It was very much a case of, oh, God, we're just, just tumbling. And we were lucky in the end to have a chance to keep it in our own hands on the final day. So, yeah, yeah it was a great we celebration. We actually only yeah. lost one of the, uh, the last 24 games, but we drew 11 of the last 12. And Brighton just, you know, Bobby the Moore inspired Brighton. Um, just, pip, well, I say pipped us to it. They, they, they comfortably won it in the end. Of course, Brentford were on a, a magnificent run of form from probably, a, well, probably from about the time um, we beat the Medanski that season, I believe. Um, which is assisted Steve Popple that season with. Was it Steve Stephen on the wing? You had Lloyd Awusu, Martin Rowland, Steve Sidwell in the middle. Arsenal, was it? Sing Sidwell, Ingham up as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, basically half of Reading's Premier League team. Well, this is what we're this is what we're saying because this is what I'm saying about the crying thing that's going on because <laughs> you had the manager and you had yep. half our team. And if we'd beaten you, which technically we should have done, we were at home, we went ahead, we had the crowd. Um, and if Curitan didn't come on, we can guarantee you, you wouldn't have scored that goal. Technically, Brentford could have been the team that would have been going into the Premier League, and we could have been having a flip side conversation now about us moaning about being in the Premier League and how it was so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. I, I, think, I think Scudamore would have taken one look at your stadium and, and found some <laughs> loophole to stop you going up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, well, actually, probably they might. Have, you're saying to us, you might have done us a favour because we probably would have had to end up sharing with QPR then or something like that. Yeah, yeah which is a bit of a nightmare. So yeah, so that's good. So listen, I mean, just on that note, just on that note. Sorry, Billy. Just uh, um, seeing as you did basically um, manage to get quite a few of our uh, ex-players um, to join Reading. Um, uh, is there a particular ex, sort of favourite ex Brentford player who played for Reading? Carlos Sabra, obviously. Oh, <laughs> dreadful! <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. He's very good, Sabra. Particular yeah. favourite of mine. He, he was, he was brilliant for us. Only for his goal yeah. celebration, he's got me annoyed at Wusu. Ah, yeah, yeah, the lobster. Uh, yeah, he was a he was a he was a good boy, old Lloydy. Yeah. We didn't go too badly after a star, but I think Reading fans will look at Sidwell as one of our best ever players. Mm. Fantastic player. Ingemarsson Still doing a job in the Premier League, isn't he? Yeah. And um, Inga Marston was superb yeah. for us. You know, he played above himself. He played very well in the Premier League. You could tell he was probably playing a bit of a level above his, himself, but he, his organisation and uh, the way he read the game kind of got him out of a few holes in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, Wooster will always be fondly remembered by Reading fans. He he had a, a, a short but fairly fruitful spell, and the best of all, the manager. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah. And interesting, you know the story. I mean, I don't know if you know the story about Stephen Hunt, um, but as far as I know, this, the story goes because after he came a few years afterwards, he was playing for Brentford. Um, Hunt Pen, we used to call him because basically every time you used to read <laughs> the newspapers, you used to just see Hunt Pen because he was like he just always given the penalties. He used to score loads. Um, and then uh, Martin Allen was in the side, and I, I don't know, Martin Allen just didn't really rate him, did he, Dan, at all? He just, no. you know, and he didn't rate him, then he put him out the side, and, you know, in the end, he didn't sort of renew his contract or something, so yeah, he was bizarre. out of the gig, and he actually went to Reading, and he was training with Reading, I think, because I think at the time, Wally Downs was there, which he knew yeah. before when he was at Brentford, 
yeah. and I think they come over here and just train with us for a little bit and they sort of train with you and then in the end he sort of kind of like said, you know, and probably gave you a contract and it was one of those ones where he wasn't good enough for Brentford who was sort of kind of mid-table sort of <laughs> division one and before you know it he's scoring goals for Ireland like you know uh, yeah. yeah I mean yeah. the question is to the Reading fans did he manage to do the triple step over for you guys <laughs> I'd say oh, yeah. yes he did Yes, he did. I can remember the triple step over up at St Andrews in a one-all draw, and he laid on a beautiful cross, having spun his uh, completely, completely bamboozled his uh, fullback. A uh, beautiful cross to Shane Long, who only had to nod the ball into right. the net. Picture the scene: all of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. And he decided to play the, uh, uh, the old spectacular overhead side swipey type thing and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and it bounced into uh, Mike Taylor's arms and um, if we if he'd have scored that then you know there's two points that probably could have saved us at the end of the season. I'd say <laughs> Hunt is the ultimate Marmite player because uh, it puts a lot of effort in, a lot of energy, kind of you know gets the crowd on side, you know, puts a lot into his game. Opposition supporters hate him. Particularly <laughs> Chelsea after a, a fairly unfortunate incident um, where he managed to break their goalkeeper's skull. You know these things happen. And um, he he uh, he was very popular at Reading for a spell until he decided he wanted a bigger contract, uh, and his form kind of dipped with that. His popularity dipped with that. And do you know what? Who does he even play for now? He's still Ipswich. I think he's Ipswich. Yeah. 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 Virtually on the cusp of signing on the dotted line for Bradford, who oh. were in League Two at the time, and Steve got wind of it and, uh, and and virtually drove him back from Bradford and said, "Come and sign for me." And in the first season, it was funny enough the 0506 season. If you can see the shirt, it's a lovely shirt, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I heard the story that Hunt was actually at Heathrow when he got a a call. From he was Convy. But uh, didn't really get much of a look in yep. because Compton's quality was just so, so far superior. Mm. And then Compton struggled with injury at the start of 06 07. Hunt makes his, uh, his first appearance in the Premier League, first start in the Premier League, funnily enough, against Chelsea in that infamous game. And um, the rest, as they say, is history. But yeah, I mean, if, if it wasn't for Steve Coppel getting wind of the fact that he was going to Brad, you know, sign for a League Two Bradford, Stephen Hunt wouldn't be anywhere near where he well, wouldn't have anywhere near the career that he's had. He'd probably be on the scrappy. Yeah. 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 As Neil said, he he had a spell of about four or five months when he was our standout player. Like he played like a man possessed. Mm. Um, then there was lots of speculation that he was going to Sunderland. Apparently, an offer was made. His contract was increased, and then that was it. He he didn't seem to put the effort in anymore. No. Uh, I mean, I mean, you talk about Stephen Hunt. You talk about some players. I mean. I flip my, my mind back to a Reading player who off gives me the big thumbs up is old Shaka Hislop, who I thought oh, was oh, a tremendous goalkeeper. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I was saying I saw him play for uh, Trinidad against Sweden in the World Cup in 2006, actually, where he obviously kept the Swedes at bay. You know, against England, I think he played. I think England snuck a win, and he was man of the match. That's right. Then he played the second. He played the second. I saw him play the England game as well. So yeah. I saw him play two games as well. Absolutely brilliant player. Very popular with the supporters. My favourite Reading player of all time, bar none. Um, we won't talk about his uh, handling of crosses for a bloke six foot five. That wasn't his strength, but you know, really good guy. He's carved out a good media career, hasn't he? He does a lot of uh, media work in the states, I believe. Yes, doesn't yes. he? Yeah. I'm just wondering, and you other guys. I mean, who's your top Reading player? I mean, you talk about Shaka there. Anybody else who's uh, 
does it? My, my all-time favourite is is Michael Jolt. Uh, he's the player that I first started really taking taking a note of in uh, in, in the, the early Reading days. Um, and I play on that side of midfield as well on a Sunday morning. And while I don't have quite a speed and haven't had his um, I certainly haven't had his anywhere near his uh, his his level of um, of performance, um, I did used to like uh, modelling myself on the playground on certain Mister Yeah Michael Jokes. John, you got anybody? Um, I mean, there's lots, and it tends to vary on a day-to-day basis, but. Um, Glenn Little, right winger in the the championship winning season, was just superb. He, I think it was his, about the only season he managed to stay fit. He was was inspired and and such an enigma. He didn't know what he was going to do with the ball, so the opposition never did. But some of the things he did were were just stunning and and audacious and a revelation. Yeah, I I, I, I again like John, mine flip flops. I I can easily say Steve Sidwell. Um, Kevin Doyle was fantastic, and there's the ultimate example of a, a play by from absolute nowhere that goes on to become, you know, one of the club's best ever strikers. It's, it's just a shame that his career's fallen down since he left Reading, really. But uh, when he was on form, he was brilliant. You know, the ice cool nerves to get a penalty at the Medici Stadium against Manchester United, our first Premier League season, calm as you like, puts in the back of the net, and you know, scored the goal that got us promoted to the Premier League the first ever time. Fantastic servant, nice bloke as well. Um, so I'll, I'll probably start for door, but the likes of Shaka, Jimmy Quinn, when I first started watching the club, um, a winger called Scott Taylor also featured, but I'll probably just give door the nod. Leicester B, I'm interested in who's your uh, top boy or boys? What, Reading. Redford. Sonko. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be your Sonko. Sonko. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he he was. I'll tell you why I like him. Uh, not because of he played for Brentford uh, for, for Reading, obviously. Um, it's just that you know he he was a name that came out of nowhere for Brentford, um, and uh, you know he, he, I just marvelled at him. He, he was he was he, he was class, a proper class act when Brentford were really in the doldrums. Uh, he was a bit of a shining light for me. But uh, Bentley, if you ask me who my favourite ever Brentford player is, yeah. um, wow, crikey, it, it's a tough one really because. Um, I think, I think, well, Herman Friderson, um, for me, Herman Friderson, for me, was uh, absolutely an unreal player uh, when we were uh, playing in the bottom division, probably division, what was it, probably, I don't know what they called it at the time, League 3, I don't know, well, Division 3 or League 5, oh, fuck knows, but um, <laughs> anyway, the bottom division, uh, and that was our championship winning season, and uh, we signed Herman Friderson. Uh, which for me was just out of this world. The, the guy was just so classy. We've signed him for about 750k from uh, Crystal Palace. But then I've got other favourite players in terms of Gus Hurdle. Um, you know, the reason why I like Gus Hurdle, he was probably one of the worst right backs that have ever played for Brentford Football Club, um, is the fact that he was a trier. He turned up at the training ground. Um, he basically said, "Look, just 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 play me, um, and I'll, I'll try my best." And the guy. You know, he did try his very, very best, and I respected that. You know, because he, he, it's a case where at the time my expectations for Brentford Football um, Club were very, very low, um, so I wasn't expecting any players who could actually kick the ball, uh, really. So I was quite happy to see a player who just tried. Um, but it, nowadays the expectations have changed completely, and uh, uh, and I think um, you know now what do we look for? Yeah, we want effort, but now at Brentford we're looking for players with a bit of flair, a bit of skill, and, uh, and I think you guys are going to get a bit of a shock on the Saturday, to be honest with you. I mean, again, same thing with me. It's really funny because we've been down in those doldrums for so long, and you say who's your best player, and I sit down and think, oh, Francis Joseph. I don't remember from back in the day. He was at Wimbledon and stuff, and, you know... Played at Reading. That's, he probably, yeah, probably, yeah, that's right. Well, I thought he was... He was I thought he was very long. Ever. Like, you know, Francis Joseph. And then after that was... I thought he was at Brentford for about 45 years... Was uh, two others was Chris Kamara who played for us as well, who I thought was brilliant. He was down the road with you at Swindon as well. Oh, a kid, but I love Chris Kamara; he's brilliant. But I found that he's only at Brentford for like a year or two. But you know, at that time, I used to think, oh god, he's been there for fifteen years. And then after that was uh, there's Chris Kamara. Then there's Richard Cadet, who Richard Cadet in the back of the net. Oh, again, I thought brilliant. Brentford for the beginning of the rest of his life, but he's only there for about one or two years. And Richie still comes down to Brentford, so he, you know, all top boys. But then coming back to a player with a link, Lloyd Awusu, who I think was a fantastic player, and I used to love what he played. He was exciting, and it was a great era for us, and that's just a whole exciting team that we had. And I know you mentioned Sonko. I have to mention the other defender as well, which is uh, Sam Soji, who uh, 
we love Solji. Solji was brilliant at Brentford, and I think it's a bit of a shame, obviously, what's happened recently with the older, slightly dodgy activity that's yeah. taken place with him and the family members. But at Brentford, he was an absolute Don Dada. And, uh, you know, he kept like salmon. <laughs> it was fantastic, you know. Those were happy days. That, that mid, mid, late 90s, early 2000s, early noughties era was quite a good era for Brentford. I can't, can't believe you're forgetting such form, former Reading players as Paul Brooker, Alan <laughs> Bennett, you know, all these great players we've sent you in the, uh, in the years. Right. Oh. I think there's a reason why they've been uh, forgotten, actually. <laughs> but um, Terry Herlock was a, an absolute god. I I loved him. He's the absolute epitome of the, the uncompromising player. Not much skill, but no way would you get past him. Uh, I loved him, but he only got about half the games because the suspensions. It, Herlock was brilliant for us. I mean, we signed him from Dagenham, I remember. And he was just he was just so hard. And he was in our ultimate, a lot of people say the ultimate midfield, which we had Herlock, Stan Bowles and Chris Kamara, which was one of the best Brentford midfields ever. Mm. Um, and I remember there's a story about Terry Olock actually. Actually, Terry Olock and Chris Kamara, uh, I don't even remember the old days when they used to, um, and there used to be snow, and they used to put a little broadcast. This is obviously before the old social network days and internet, where they go, hello, there's um, snow on the pitch at such and such. Can fans go down with your shovels and clear the snow? We'll give you a free ticket. Yeah, right. yeah. So uh, I remember I went down to Millwall. Um, we played Millwall, and uh, I really wanted the game to be on, so I took my spade down to Millwall, all the way down <laughs> to Millwall, and, uh, and I was there clearing the snow off the pitch with my mate Anthony. So I was clearing the pitch off with all these Millwall fans, and uh, all of a sudden, all come onto the pitch, walked onto the pitch for a little pitch inspection. Chris Kamara, Terry Herlock, and all the other players, Gary Roberts, so they walked onto the pitch, looked at the pitch, and there's me, and I went, look, look what we've just done, we've cleared the pitch. And they looked at us with such a scowl on their face, with such <laughs> hatred. Because they obviously didn't want to play. They just wanted to go home, put their feet up in front of the uh, And the referee said, great, that's the game's on. And they were absolutely gutted. I think we lost them. <laughs> I don't think Terry Earl wanted to be after that, but I was so scared. Did the spade come in handy at Millwall? Just to <laughs> I was to put it into a locker with my name on it. it. <laughs> I, I, I just wonder what would happen with the police and stewards if you tried to take a, st a spade in these days. Uh, well, I, I don't know. It depends. It's got some bendable spade or a sort of an inflatable spade. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Anyway, listen, let's, let's talk about the game. We haven't really talked about the game coming up this weekend, actually, at the game itself. And, uh, I mean, you guys, you know, we talked about a little bit saying that, you know, you thought maybe a draw, what, but... Confident? How confident do you think you are or not about this weekend and how you think it's going to be, how you're going to shape up? Who should we be scared of? I mean, we're a bit tradition, uh, sorry, transitional at the moment. Um, we Really, we should have beaten Wolves. We we should have uh, beaten Leeds. We're, we're, I mean, the, the best way to describe us, we, we look really good when we've got the ball. And when we haven't got the ball, we look absolute rubbish. Um, we've... Uh, Defensively, we can be like rabbits in the headlights. So we we are inconsistent. We we look really good at times, and and Norwood and his passing has made such a difference, and and Murray's goal scoring. But there's question we marks. We haven't actually scored a goal away from over in uh, since um, uh, for, well, for, I think it's four games now, isn't it? So yeah, we do a goal. Okay. I mean, who, who, who should we be looking out for? Who, who are the players who, who are doing the business? I mean, you've got Anton Ferdinand over there as well, haven't you? <laughs> He's in our treatment room, certainly. He's uh, making yeah. best use of the facilities. I mean, so, I mean, who, 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 you, I think Joby, Joby, Joby's gone down, down the road to Orient. I think the players you're looking out for, a former B, Simon Cox, has been in decent form for us. Uh, Glenn Murray, has got three goals in four starts since joining. Um, and players, Oliver Norwood, likely the player that's most likely to make things happen from a Reading point of view. Um, I said, it's funny, we've scored a load of goals, but I don't think of Reading having, having a lot of goal threats. Um, but it does seem like everyone seems to be chipping in with your goal. Nick Blackman, Jake Taylor, both grabbed a couple this season. So it's a, very much a team effort at the moment. But yeah, as I said, you've got to watch out for the front two, Murray and Cox, both of whom... Um, have looked dangerous and and I said I've got about seven I think seven goals between them already so decent partnership building there. Okay. Have um, Brentford still got Sam Saunders? Yeah, I mean again talking about treatment table, Sam's been on the treatment table pretty much since last Christmas okay. and uh, 
every time he keeps trying to come back, it doesn't quite happen for him, which is a little bit disappointing. So, uh, and he's moved down the, you know, and I don't want to say it in a negative way, but he's moved down the pecking order because obviously we've just packed out our midfielder. We've got so many midfielders that we bought in. Yeah. Um, the team's more looking like, I mean, we're, we're fantastic in the mid- midfielder, for, you know, if we're on the on the money. We've got Pritchard, who was uh, Division One second lineup up player of the year after Adam Forshaw, who obviously we sold to uh, to, to, to Uwe Rosler at, at Wigan. So we, we plucked him from Swindon, but he's actually from Spurs, so he's unknown from Spurs. Um, um, Pritchard, very good player, um, attacking midfielder. Um, we've got this guy called Hotta, you know, so he's one man name. He's got one name, um, you know, the, the Hispanic one name player. And uh, so good they named him one. That's right. You know, we got him from uh, Celta Vigo. So uh, he, I think he he came to Brent again. What's happened is that we we've signed a few of the players from Spain, and I think they they're a little bit like rabbit in the headlights because they're like, oh my god, this game is so intense, it's so fast, it's so full on. So uh, they don't get time to settle, and it's taken him a few games to actually settle. But he's, like I said, he's coming into his own a little bit, and he scored a fantastic goal against Leeds on Saturday. So that'll be interesting. Um, Jonathan Douglas, who you probably know, he was he played quite a few games from Leeds from before. Leeds, then he Swindon. stepped down. To Swindon. That's right. Then he came to us, and he's been with us. This, I think it's third or maybe this fourth season with us now. Um, but he's really come into his own since uh, since uh, Forshaw's gone. It's almost like he's the governor, the governor in midfield. He played against Leeds last man like a man possessed, and uh, they said that's typical. Douglas had a brilliant game. Um, he's forward, he's backwards, he's really brilliant in the midfield at the moment now. Um, and then we've got um, Moses Odebaju, who's the the winger from uh, Orient. We signed him from Orient for a million pounds. Again, um, interestingly, because Dara McAntony, who are, yeah, you may or may not know, he's the, the chairman for uh, Posh, and he made a comment and a couple of signings that we made, including uh, Moses, and he said, you know, you know, we thought, oh, my God, a million pounds for Brentford. That's just like a record signing. That's like, oh, my God, we spent so much money. And he said, Brentford bringing up, um, signing some brilliant players for some really decent prices in comparison. People like Moses, like you know, if he if he gets a good run, he's going to be worth much more money. So it'd be interesting to see again. He's taken it not well, just not, but he'll have as a really great game, or his game maybe not. You know, he might be a little bit off his game because people put two or three teams put two or three men on him. So it could be quite. You know, it's a, it's a difficult one with him. But if he has a fantastic game, you know, Moses. He, he can be dangerous, exciting winger, backwards and forwards, and you know, they put him as right back. So, yeah, our midfield is, is, is the one which could be interesting, which if we're on the money, it could be quite an exciting game. If we're not, we could be uh, we could be knocked out of sight, to be quite honest with you. If you've got players that are going to be able to pass the ball, you'll uh, you'll have some joy if you get it around Hope Akbam because he's our enforcer. Um, sadly, um, it's... Yeah, it is, it, you've got to have a better quality player in the middle there. So if, if back, that play, then he could be struggling. We, we could be struggling. I was going to say our back five in general haven't been the most solid this year. Um, all of them are, have had good games, but as a unit, they do leak a lot of goals. Um, that's a Jordan O'Beat is still learning as a left back. He made it, made a couple of errors against Wolves. Chris Gunter can still get caught out, and the two centre backs, Pearson Hector, both players with a lot of potential and already some good games under their belts, but both of them prone to make the you know the odd random error that costs you points. So that is certainly the area you, you've got to get out. And it, it's good from a running point of view. They actually kept a clean sheet on Wednesday night because it was getting to the stage, you know, it's all well and good scoring nine goals in your last three home games but when you're leaking five as well. Um, and also dropping two at home to like Huddersfield. It's an area that Brentford should be getting at. It's You don't have to keep it particularly tight against Reading. They are a team that if you go at them, you know, you do get joy. Would you say, though... Uh, would you say though that you're sort of quite a physical side though, or I mean, what's your playing style? Because I think that Brentford, um, I think where we've fallen down uh, this season a bit is um, our defence. Our defence is, it's on paper, it's actually a pretty good defence on paper. But um, I don't know what it is. We, I mean, we have leaked quite a few goals ourselves, which will give uh, Reading a little bit of hope, I'm sure, for Saturday. Um, um, who will happily play the likes of Chris Gunter and uh, and Ollie Norwood and, and Danny Guthrie in the same midfield, for example, is not going to be very physical at all. Uh, right, mm. I mean, by the sounds of things, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of goals. Uh, yeah, I think there'll either be lots of goals or or none at all. It, we, <laughs> we, seem to, we, we seem to be like that. We, we either win um, big 
and or or but but close or or draw with lots of goals or it's a down nil nil. It's as if the the midfield can either help the defence or help the attack, but they can't do both. So. Um, one way or the other. We w w one thing we do tend to do to get is quite a few goals from set pieces. The centre backs yeah, tend to so. go up, and they're they're fairly good. So I'd I'd always put money on Reading's um, centre halves being first scorers because oh, that's, that, that's always a good bet. There'll be there'll be goals in this game then because I, I think set pieces are something we need to work on for a start. <laughs> Corners is something that we never score from. Clean sheet is something that we don't seem to have except for I think Rotherham we had a clean sheet against, didn't we? Up at Rotherham. Yeah, yeah. we beat them, but I think that's the only. They did hit the post about twice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But um, so that so that doesn't happen there, and we do score. We have lots of chances. We don't necessarily score, um, but we potentially can do. So I think it's, it's going to be about six all or so. Well, you could have done some like, scouting on us. I do, I know that John regularly puts a three-all bet on. So John, you you're, 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 you could be in the money again this weekend. Uh, let, let's hope so. Yep. That's right. So I we're on Sky on Sunday, so you may have caught us. Um, I'm sure it was the uh, highlight of your viewing on Sunday afternoon. Uh, it was a good game, actually, against Wolves in the end. Um, I thought it was a bit drab in the first half. We had a lead. Second half, for 20 minutes, Dave and I have had a disagreement on this. I thought we were keystone cops. We were we conceded two within three minutes. I, I thought in that 20-minute spell after half-time, when the aforementioned Akpan was taken off, we, we, could have, we, we could have conceded three or four. I think we uh, we we can be particularly slap in uh, slapdash in kind of fullback position. We give away um, we give away the opportunity for too many crosses uh, for the opposition. We, we 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 can be really weak and sloppy at times at the back. Um, I don't know how inefficient Leeds were last night to fail to score against us. I, I, I just I was uh, surprised and delighted at the clean sheet last night. Uh, Belly, yeah. just out of interest, is uh, is are you uh, sending this off to Mark Warburton? <laughs> um, well, uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if he gets if he gets a link to it. He, he may be busy. You know, it's, I'm going to ask about busy. Warburton. Who is he? <laughs> He's just kind of come out of nowhere. It, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, without being patronising, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I've lost your manager. You've lost managers in the past. You know, Koppel, uh, Rosler. And then he's come from absolutely nowhere. Is he the local baker or something? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the story, the thing about it is that, I mean, first of all, Rosler, I mean, he he wasn't really on the circuit here. I mean, he was over in Norway and he was doing his, you know, he was in Scandinavia doing his thing out there. And it was a bit of a curveball when we pulled him in for a start because, you know, he wasn't on anybody's kind of hit sheet as we must get, you know, this guy in as a manager. Um, and Warburton was actually our owner who used to work in the city as a trader, one of his mates from the city. So he's a city trader with him. So he traded in the city for him for years, gave it up and went into football coaching, started off at the eight and nines at Watford and worked his way up, became head of the academy. And then he was like the academy guy at Watford, just did a lot of coaching there. And then eventually his friend who was the manager, or obviously the owner of Brentford, bought him in as the, the head coach, I think it was, or one of the coaches at Brentford when um, Andy Scott got sacked. So he ended up becoming sort of like an assistant manager with Nicky Forster, good old Nicky Forster. Oh. Ah. Yeah. There's another one. So he was. Oh, how can we forget him? Yeah, uh, and so he was assistant manager with Nicky Forster, who was a player at the time, and they put him inside there. And he, he was manager till the end of the season for you know I don't know four, five, six, seven games. Did hmm. that, and then um, um, Uwe Rosler got the job, and then they gave him the job as uh, sporting director. So that's what he did. But he's the person that found all the players that we've had. So people like Andy Forshaw, Adam Forshaw, um, um, Bidwell, Dean, all those players, basically, Warburton just knows the inside out. He knows all the kids. He knows the academies he's got. He basically spent time out with his, the money that he made from banking, just going around to all the academies in Europe and just picking up coaching techniques. So he's, he's got a lot of kind of a... Um, you know, history, and he, he knows his stuff, but he's been completely under the radar. And, um, yeah. you know, he actually got offered the job because uh, after Rossler left, they were searching for somebody, and apparently Rossler and uh, the guy from Liverpool, Frank McParland, said, why don't you give it to Warburton? You might as well. And the owner went, all right then. So he said, hey. you know, he was outgoing, actually looking for another manager at the time, so they gave him the job. So it's a bit of a funny, funny story, that one, where he's, he's you know, low, low capacity, low profile, but it's quite good for him because he's kind of, you know, the pressure's not really on as it would be, say, for example, a Warnock or anybody else that we were meant to get. I mean, what thing about Warburton is is the fact that um, he did all the Next Gen series. So he did that, um, 
I think it was the European Champions League uh, for academies or something like that, which is why he's got so many contacts. Um, but um, actually, it's interesting where he's him being an ex-City trader means he takes quite a different approach um, to uh, management, and so um, he takes a very professional, um, uh, I suppose, approach to the way he manages the players. Um, I think he's even taken the Brentford players down to his old uh, trading floor just to show them what madness it's like down there. And um, I, I think he's, he, he's brought a completely fresh approach to the way um, he manages the players, he manages the team. Obviously, he knows his football, his contacts at the next because of the Next Gen series has, has worked wonders with us, which is why, I mean, it's not just um, uh, um, uh, Hotter, who's the only uh, player we've got from um, uh, the, uh, the, the um, what's it called, the uh, Spain-Portugal um, because we've also brought in another player who's got one single name called Bettinia as well, out on loan, um, who was uh, playing for Sporting Lisbon. So, um, again, all these contacts that he's got means we're bringing very young, hungry players who actually can play a bit. Um, and, not quite uh, developed. Do what? They're not quite developed, so we get them just before they're good enough to, and then we develop them up. Exactly. I mean, he's a great coach. And what, what I get um, at the moment at Brentford is that our coaching is absolutely unreal. And talking to an ex-Brentford player um, uh, last season, he was saying it's amazing because every single time you watch Brentford, it's really clear to see that what's happening on the, um, uh, on the training field is actually being replicated out on the actual field on match days. Um, and uh, the more I, the, once that ex-player told me that, you know, I've been watching the team really carefully, and you can see it. It is really well drilled, really well coached, and it's not um, sort of too rigid because they play with a lot of freedom. But I think that's something that um, you know Warburton's brought on board. So I think that's for me where even if we lose a game, we will bounce back and we will then um, sort of play our football. Um, and it's interesting because that last fans forum we did. Uh, Warburton was saying, um, basically, so, yeah, I think he was asked, what's our plan B? And he says, we don't need a plan B. If we play our football, if we do what we um, do on the, uh, out on the training field and replicate it out on the actual match field, then every single team is going to be pretty scared of us because we do play some amazing football. Not yeah. quite Martin Allen, then. <laughs> 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 Martin Allen's a legend, as you know, but um, um, but wow, um, you know, yeah. uh, I think what, what as I said, Warburton, what he brings is a very fresh approach. It's never been seen at Brentford before, ever, never, um, and we're, we're we're spoiled with it at the moment, and that's why it's a really good time to be a Brentford fan. The players like him. The players like him as well because he's a, he's a you know he's a he's a geezer. He's a really open guy. He's just like you know, come on, let's go down the pub, let's have a chat. You know, he's really open, and I think that, and I, I, I like Uwe Rossi, and I thought he was wicked, but I think that. From what I can gather, he was, you know, his style was a much more kind of, he was very ironclad in what you had to do, and, and players sometimes felt a little restricted. And I think with Warburton, they feel a little bit more kind of open. He lets them do what they do, he lets them express themselves, which would be interesting. So I think that's probably why he's just like, let's lose some, win some. If you're going to lose, you know, if you lose two, let's win four, you know, like a trader's approach. You know, but anyway, let's wrap this one up, and you know, we're going to talk. About, we talk about the game on Saturday, so we've got to give everyone to give a bit of a result. Let's have a little prediction from everyone to see how they think they're going to do against the bees and the Royals on Saturday. Oh, okay. I'll kick off. This is Neil. Don't like to be optimistic with Reading. It's always dangerous. Um, we've talked a bit about our lack of goal scoring away from home. We're scoring at home, so we need to turn that round Saturday. Goal apiece, one all. That's a familiar result. I think we'll always take a one all at Brentford. Last time it worked out quite well for us. We'll uh, take a one all. <laughs> John, um, we're just too inconsistent. Although most Reading supporters, and arrogant as they are, will be disappointed if we don't come away with all three points. I'll go for a, a two all draw. The the under nines rabbits caught in the headline standard of defending that that we're prone to and we saw on on Sunday means we we can't be sure of a clean sheet. So two all, I think. Dave. Yeah, I think uh, John's just completely stolen my thunder. I was going to go two all as well for exactly the same reasons. Uh, leave it leave it to me then to be the lone optimist. Um, I've said on our, our on the Tallaston podcast this week two one to Reading. So um, I guess I'll, I'll stick to my guns and, and say that I think we'll just nick it. Lister B. 
Um, based on what the uh, Reading fans have uh, said today, uh, I think um, I think we're going to murder them out on the wings. <laughs> um, I think the fact that they're not physical means they're not going to bully our little team about. So, um, uh, and I think at, at home, considering we have battered some good teams down there, I think it's going to be three-one at Brentford. Oh, and I'm and I'm going to come in um, saying that I'm confident as well. I think the bees are going to get two-one. I think there's going to be a very exciting game, end-to-end -end stuff, um, but it's not going to be a clean sheet, and I think B's 2-1, um, and I think Andre Gray will get on the score sheet yet again today, because he, he needs to do that. So uh, so that's the one. So yeah, it's been the Besotted Podcast. Thanks very much, guys. It's been very informative. It's been a good laugh, and uh, no doubt we'll catch up with you Saturday in the Globe Pub for a few Swifties before the game, if you're going to be there. Brilliant. No worries. Thank you. Nice one, guys. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.